Hi everyone and welcome again back to our Bible study. So good to welcome you and tonight I'm so excited. We're going to open up the Word of God. We're going to just explore and see what the riches of the Word of God can give us in this Bible study. You would recall last week I started talking about serious Christianity, seriousness coming to Christ and I gave you a lot of scriptures around the gospel. Today I want to continue into discipleship. I want to talk a little bit about after you've accepted Christ, what now? What do you do with this new life? Remember, the Bible says He made us a new creation. And now that we're a new creation, or shall I say a, a newborn baby, what do we do from this point onwards? We can't just stay babies. We need to grow. And the best path for you and for me is to take a discipleship uh, course and follow Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at uh, in this lesson number two at discipleship. Now a disciple, if you look at a definition for a disciple, and I just put this into Google and you'll find so many different definitions and we'll come to the biblical definition in a minute. But disciple is a follower of a teacher and of his doctrine. This is somebody who follows a person and the word doctrine means a code of belief. What, what do you believe in? What do you hold strong that you can pass on from one generation to another gener generation about how to live this life? For us as Christians, uh, we are disciples of Jesus Christ and His teachings. So if you think about the word disciple, you think about a master and a pupil or a student. And the Bible has got a lot of scriptures about that in the New Testament. We find it in the Gospels. Jesus himself used the word disciple. And we also find it in the book of Acts. For instance, Matthew chapter 10 verse 24. Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher. So there you've got a teacher and a disciple. And Jesus says that the disciple is not above the teacher. So the teacher gives the direction. The teacher has got the doctrine, the teachings that he want to pass on to the disciple. And for us, our teacher is Jesus Christ and he wants to pass his code of belief, his doctrine, a heavenly doctrine onto us so that we can grow. He says in that verse in, in 10 verse 24, he says, nor is a servant above his master. And that makes sense. A servant serves the master. <clears throat> In many ways you can think that a disciple serves the teacher because he wants to learn from the teacher. Verse 25 says, It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And that is so true. I've seen it in my own life where uh, there were a few pastors in the churches where we were and there's a few uh, disciples, you can call them that, or people who wanted to go into ministry. And sometimes some of these pastors would have a habit that they do. It might be shaking the head. It might be, you know, lifting their hand in a certain way. And soon enough, you will find that the followers or the disciples of that pastor, they will do the same thing. I've even heard of a man who, as a teacher, he was walking with a limb. And after a year, some of the students or disciples who were in his courses sort of also walked with a, with a limp. And this is just how they are like the master. So whatever the master teaches you, 
That is how you will come out. So it is critically important for us to follow Jesus and nobody else. We should follow no man but Jesus Christ. In, in Luke chapter 14 verse 27, uh, Jesus again, he says, And moreover does uh, not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus says there is a price to pay to be a disciple, a disciple of him. There is something you've got to bear across. And we're going to unpack that in a minute or two. Now the Greek word for disciple that's used here is the word mathetes. Mathetes. It comes from two words, but the, the root word, the math, the meaning of that is a thought accompanied by an endeavor. A thought accompanied by an action. That is what the word means. Disciple is knowledge that comes over to you. You accept the knowledge from the master and you act upon it. It's as simple as that. It is doing something. It's not just sitting in a classroom and get all of this knowledge and become more cleverer. For what? You need to apply what you've learned. And this is why it is so important that whatever Jesus Christ teaches us, we need to apply it to our lives. And that is what a true disciple is. Now I want us to look in the study at five efforts or five actions. Or we can also call it characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ. The first one that I want us to look at, uh, at is an action is to take up the yoke of Jesus. Take up the yoke of Jesus. And we find this in Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. Oh, what an invitation, my friend. Jesus turns to you and me and he says, If you labor, because labor makes you tired. If you are heavy laden, it means something, some with, something with weight has been put upon your shoulders and it wears you down. Jesus has got an invitation for you and for me. And how wonderful is that invitation? What does he say? He says, come unto me. Come unto Jesus. How wonderful is that invitation? Why won't you just now take that invitation upon you? And what will happen when you do that? Well, it says it in the scripture verse. He says, and I will give you rest. I've heard so many people say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm so sick that all of these things happen. I'm so tired. You know, somebody who's, who's tired needs rest. And this is not a rest where you just go to sleep and stand up, refresh, and then later on you feel the same weakness. No, this is Jesus' rest that he gives you. How wonderful! It is it's wonderful. He says in verse 25, 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We need to learn from him. Again, we come to this, this notion of the teacher and the disciple. And he says, I want to teach you something and you're going to learn from me. But in order to do that, you need to take upon you the yoke. My yoke, he says. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest not for your bodies, 
but for your soul. That is the critical part here. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My dear friend, when we submit to Jesus Christ, when we come to Him, we are yoked with Him. I use the word with. Think about that. When we submit to Him, we are yoked with Him. And it becomes, the word there becomes, it becomes easy for us. You don't have to carry it on yourself anymore because He helps you. If you think about this picture that we see, a yoke is a wooden instrument back in their day. And the oxen would come two by two and they put their yoke over their shoulders and they will push through their legs, through their body in a forward motion. And then you will start to get motion. And once you get motion, it is hard when it starts because you've got to put everything in, all your muscles pain, just to get some kind of motion going. And once you get the momentum, it becomes easier and easier the further you go. And this, this my friends, is what this picture is all about. But there's more. If you go back in the day and you get a, a young ox, and, and look, I understand the blood is running through its veins and it's strong and it can, it can go anywhere. If you want to take that young ox and you want to train him, then you put him next to an experienced old ox. Think about this, these two animals. The one is experienced. He knows how this works. He knows the weight of the yoke. He knows to get the momentum going. And then you put next to him this young, untrained ox. Because when it becomes difficult and so on and, and so on, the old ox knows just to get into the momentum. Go forward. Once there's motion, it becomes easier. The young ox might come to a point where he wants to jump out. He wants to go in a different direction, but he's yoked to this experienced animal now let us just resonate with you what Jesus is saying in this verse is put my yoke upon your shoulders in other words you and I we are this young ox unexperienced don't know what we're doing and we're going to be yoked with Jesus himself he comes in next to us, take his yoke, comes over us, and with him, we're going to get momentum going forward. Marvelous! Just to think about that, the first step of discipleship is to be yoked with Jesus. That's the first characteristic. He said later on, he says, I will pray the Father and he sent you another comforter. The word there for comforter in, in John chapter 14, 16 is, is parakletos. Para is to come alongside and to give strength and help. It's the helper. And here, beautifully, beautiful picture. He says that he will come alongside us and he will, he will make it easier. Now, let me just quickly touch on two yokes that I can find in the Bible. And maybe you can find more, but 
I want to drill down on these two. I read in the Bible about a yoke called sin. A, a yoke called sin. And we find it in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 4. And listen to the prophet when the Lord speaks through him to the nation. He says, Alas, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. There you find it. Laden with iniquity. The word iniquity there is sin. And he says, what the prophet says, what God says to us is that sin is a weight upon you. It wears you down. That's a yoke upon you. You are laden on top of you is the sin. A brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They've walked away, forsaken Him. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. And they have turned away backward. Listen to the psalmist here. In Psalm 83 or 38 verse 4. He says, for my iniquities, again the word iniquities is sin. And <coughs> see how he puts it now. He says, for my iniquities, my iniquities have gone over my head. And listen now, like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. You are welcome to keep on carrying your yoke, your sin yoke. You are welcome. I just know one thing for sure. One day, it is going to draw you down. It's going to draw you down to your knees where you cry out for the Holy One of Israel. The second yoke that, uh, that I came across in the Word of God is man-made religious rules. And this is a dangerous one. Why? Because it feels so good to obey rules. And feel that I'm doing something good for God. But they are only man-made. There are so many man-made rules in so many churches. And man, once you obey them, yes, it feels good. But it becomes a yoke. And that's the danger thereof. It's a yoke. Listen to Matthew 23 verse 4. He says, For they... And he spoke, speaking now to the Pharisees here. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And he warns the people. He says, for they, <coughs> these Pharisees, they bind, bind heavy burdens too hard to bear. They bind heavy burdens and lay them on their men's shoulders. Rules, regulations. We are operating by the law of God, which is in the word of God which has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And I'm taking on the yoke of Jesus Christ, who's going to make it easier for me, not harder, to fulfill or to comply with the law. I don't need more rules from man to keep me to the law. The only one who's going to keep me to the law is Jesus Christ himself. Because he's the, oh, listen to me, he's the only one. The only one who fulfilled the law, never broke it, the sinless man. Who better than to be yoked in than, than him? Man made rules and regulations is going to wear you down. The Bible talks about it. Jesus talks about it. He says, come, take my yoke upon you. 
Be my disciple and be yoked with me and I will teach you, he says. And I will give you rest while I teach you. Didn't make sense the first time when you read it. If you put a yoke on somebody, normally if you put yokes on oxen, it's time to work. It's time for labor and for hard labor. But this yoke, he says, is going to be labor, but it is going to be an easy labor with him helping you. Take it upon. Now there's two beautiful, beautiful um, symbols that we find here. The one which is made out of wood. Both of these you will find is made out of wood. The one is the cross. And the other one is this yoke. The yokes back in the day were made out of wood. And the cross was made out of wood. So the cross symbolizes, once we come to the cross, submission. You come to the cross and you submit. Repent of your sin. Cry out to God to save you. And then you take on the yoke, which is also a wooden yoke. And that is a symbol of service. Now I'm ready to serve as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that's the first characteristic. And I, and I pray God it means a lot to you. Because remember what a, a, a disciple is, a matetis. It is uh, to think in order to endeavor to work that. Take on that cross, my friend. The second characteristic or endeavor that we need to do is to continue in the word of God. <clears throat> and a lot of you have heard me preach so many over the years. And if there's one thing that I can stress more than anything else, it's the Word of God. This wonderful textbook of God which He gave us. His mind for us. And that's the second thing about discipleship. If you want to follow Him, take the yoke upon you and then <coughs> continue in the Word. In John chapter 8 verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him. So many Jews, they come up and they believe in him. Jesus, we believe in you. And he said the following words to them. He says, if you abide in my word. See? If you abide in my word. And then, if you think about it, in, in, in the book of John chapter 17, he comes and he says, Father, the words that you've given me, I've given them. And then he says in that same chapter, he says, Father, I pray that you sanctify them. Sanctify means set them apart. By what? By being a Christian? By wearing a suit? By going to church? No, no. He says, set them apart by your word. Your word. Listen to this. Is truth. John 17, 17. The word of God is critical for a disciple of God. So critical. And here he says to them, he says, if you abide in me, if you say you're in me, you need to abide in my word. Abide in his word. You are my disciples indeed if you do that. He says that. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth shall make you free. My dear friend, let me tell you. The word of God is the communication of God to you and me. You, you ask me, you say... How does God speak to us? And man, we've got so many, so many people who say so many things. I've heard a lady once, he said, you know, God spoke to me through a bird. Spoke to her through a bird. I wasn't there. I can't substantiate what she's saying is true. She says that. 
But who can confirm that? I can't. Nobody can. Only she can. But listen, there's one place where we can confirm everything, and, and that's the Word of God. So, so how does God speak to us? Wait, there is, there is a passage in the Bible which tells us directly how God speaks to us. And this is why it's important for you and for me that, that we abide, because it's the communication from God to us. We pray. When we pray to God, uh, 1 John chapter 5, 14, we put our submissions to God. And this is the confidence that we have in God, that whatever we ask of, of Him according to His will, He hears us. And it becomes a petition. So it's a one-way stream when I speak to God. I speak out to God. He speaks back to me. How? The Bible gives the answer. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 1. And follow now with me. Even if you want to pause a bit. So that everything. I know I give you so much information here. But this, this is all important. He says here in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. He says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Now listen to what I just read. He says, who at various times, in various ways, we've got the whole Old Testament to see the various ways how the father spoke to the people and he spoke to them through the prophets. It says it right there. But he uses the word in times Past. It is clear as daylight there. In times past, various ways he spoke to the fathers. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds. Wait a minute. Times past, he spoke in various ways. He spoke through the prophets. But also I read the passages where he spoke audibly. But now the sun comes. And remember when we talk about times now. He says there in verse 2. As in these last days. Are we living in the last days? Yes. Look around you. Read your Bibles. Look at the, the news reports that's going on. Look at pandemics. The worst one in a hundred years. Look at all the things happening. Or earthquakes. Everything. It's no secret. Even the world's crying out that something's going to happen. But when the Hebrew writer was writing this, he wasn't writing about these days <coughs> that you and I live in. He was writing about the days when the Hebrews left. And he says to them, because John says in 1 John chapter 1, he says, we perceived him, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him, we and him we bring unto you, which is whom? The word of life in 1 John chapter 1. The word of life. Who's the word of life? Jesus. So the, the, the disciples and the apostles eventually comes to us and say, we bring you Jesus and his words is with us. He spoke to us. God with us. That is what it means they win in these times, in the days of them. But for us, you say, wait a minute, but Jesus died. Where's his voice? We've got it written right here. And, and now people say, but I read through the Bible and I don't get it. It doesn't open up to me. It's so hard. I get that. But there's good news. There's great news. Because in John, 
And there from verse uh, chapter 12 onwards, 13, he's, he's in the upper room. It's the last. And he, he says so much. You've always got to listen to somebody before they die. Jesus was going to die the next day. And he turns to his disciples. He says, it's better for you that I depart. Why? Why, Jesus? He says, for I, when I go, another one will come. I've prayed to Father and he'll send you the helper. The Paracletos. And what will the Paracletos do? He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. John chapter 16. But mostly important, he will teach you all about me. This is Jesus' own words. The Holy Spirit will take this word and make it alive for you and for me. I open up the scriptures, I read them, and the Holy Spirit is the one who makes these scriptures come alive and live in my heart. And that, my friend, is how God speaks to us. I've had more in my life speaking to me through this word and men who preach this word in spirit and truth than all of these fancy things that's going around. Straight as that. The second characteristic or endeavor of a disciple is to continue in the word of God because there we find the mind of God and we also find the answers to life. Let's come to the third one. So the third endeavor or characteristic of a child of God is to, is to love others. This is an important one. So we take the yoke, we continue in the word and now we love others. And Jesus said this himself, nothing else, just him. He says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment. Doesn't mean that he took the Ten Commandments and said, gone with, no, no. He fulfilled them, but he, he combined them. He says, a new commandment now I give unto you. What is this commandment? He says it there further in the verse, 13, John 13, 34, that you love one another. That you love one another. And how? How do we ought to love one another? He says it again. As I have loved you. How did he love us? It was a sacrificial love. It cost him his life. Love is. Love is got to take something from you. Maybe out of your comfort zone. He says love one another as I have loved you. And now he says. Why is this so important that we love one another like he loved us? He says, because by that love of one another, <clears throat> by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Selah, think about that. You can do all of the things. You can come to church. You can, you know, throw offerings in. You can... Uh, wash the dishes you can <coughs> do all of those nice things that you but if you haven't got love for the saints have love for the brethren for the sister and if you haven't got that love go and read 1 corinthians chapter 13 he says you are like a a clean symbol you just make noise but there's no substance love one another that is the third one that he says we will be judged. His disciples will be judged. 
by the world about how we love one another. So there's three of those things. Now the fourth thing that you and I as a disciple need to do and to think and contemplate about is to live a clean life. To live a clean life. We can't come to Christ and become a disciple and continue on with the old dirty things. We just can't do that. It is not befitting. But it's not only the dirty things that, that's going on. It is just the lifestyle. Um, we need to think about spiritual things when we're the disciples. Read about Jesus and, and apply it to your life. There's two kinds of people that, that uh, Paul addresses to the church in Corinth. Two kinds of people. And, and he's so clear, so direct. Talks about worldly people. That is my definition. Let's see his definition. He says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. Two people, spiritual and carnal. Spiritual and worldly people. He says, your flesh is too strong. And I can't speak to you like this first group. Why? And he answers them there. He says, he says as to babes in Christ. You're still a baby. You said your prayer and now you did nothing. You just sit there. He says, I fed you milk and not with solid food. We need the solid food. Why? I mean, if you keep on drinking milk and milk, I mean, if you just keep on feeding a baby milk, they will become fat. But if you start giving them solid food, the muscles may starts grow. They become strong in their backs. They can stand up. They can walk. They can run. They can exercise. This is what you and I ought to do when we come to Christ as disciples. He says, I can't give you solid food for until now you will not receive it. You're not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able for you are still carnal. You're still in the world. And now he's going to give them some examples why he say what he's saying. He says there in verse 3, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy and where there is strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal? You fight amongst each other. You just want to fight every single thing. He says, isn't that the problem here? But you are behaving like carnal men. But then he gives us a, a second group of people in the Bible. Paul writes this again, not the Corinthians, but he writes to Galatians in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. And contrast these two now. Carnal on the one side, envy, strife, divisions. But in Galatians 6 verse 1 he says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass. So if you see a brother do something wrong, what do you do? Go over there. Why did you do this? Why did you do this? God's going to punish you. All of that. No, no. <coughs> no, no he's, he doesn't say that. He says, if a man is overtaken by a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness that's a sign of a true disciple gentleness and then he says considering yourself lest you also be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ bear one another's burdens it's a military term to bear someone's pack i was in the army and uh in the army you get a pack you strap yourself on with your pack in the pack is 
everything you need to live in the bush for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, a month, you know. You've got your heavy, you know, your helmet on, you've got your clothing, you've got your weapon. It's a heavy pack. Now, if that brother or if, if any one of our soldier friends got injured or hurt, what you do is you take the pack off him and you look after the man, but somebody's got to carry that pack. So you take your pack, plus you take that man's pack upon your shoulders and you carry it. This is the term here. He says it right there. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But he also writes to Ephesians. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. He says, therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy the calling which, which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another. There's that term again, bearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So think about the carnal man, envy, strife, division, lowliness, long-suffering, bearing one another in love. That is the fourth characteristic or endeavor that you do as a, as a mathetes, mathetes, a disciple. You think to do. The last one and the final one I want to get to is you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And let me just make it clear here. You surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He's not only your Savior. I hear many people talk about Jesus their Savior. And that He is. He's our Savior. <clears throat> but more importantly, He's not only our Savior, but He is our Lord. The Bible says that He is Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. What? That He's our Savior. No, 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 no. He is our Lord. That is what we will confess. And this is as a child of God, as a disciple, as a mathetis. You, 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 you submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What does it mean? It means He's got absolute control over you, over all. And there's a classic example of that that he gives us in Luke chapter uh, 14 verse 25. He uses the words, you cannot be my disciple three times for three examples. I'll quickly give him to you. The first one is in Luke chapter 20, 14 verse 25. He says, now a great multitude went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whew. That is a harsh word. He's now going so close into the family. Father, mother, wife, children. Come on. Jesus, what's going on here, Jesus? What do you, what do you say by this? And then he uses a strong word. He uses the word hate. If you think about love, it's the opposite of hate. And he says now here, and I want to bring it out into the point that love is not an emotion. Think about love. Love is a decision. You make a decision to love somebody or not. So you can't come to me and say, I fell out of love with a person or a, or, or, or a, or a thing. How can you fall out of love? 
or I fell into love. Oh, when we are young, oh, so ignorant, we see the most beautiful girl and we go, oh, I'm falling in love. No, no. You decide. It's a decision to love that person. You see things that you like and that you can equate with. You talk to somebody, you find common ground and you make a decision. I'm going to love this person. It's not an emotion. Oh, they played the music and the ambience was good and I looked in his eyes or her eyes and boom! No, no. No. It started before that. It's a decision you make that I like this person, I want to spend time with this person, and you know what? I love this person. And now, when I love this person, I'm going to commit. I'm going to commit something of me to that person. I'm going to give something. That is true love. Some people see love as just receiving. That's not love. That's selfishness. But if you talk about love, it's, it's a decision. I decide to do this. Similarly, is the word hate. You can't just wake up one morning and you look at it, no, I'm hating it. No, no, it's a decision. Some people look at nature and they go, oh, I hate the weather. No, no, you decide to hate the weather. You can also stand up and decide to like the weather, whether it's rainy or whatever. And go and try this. Honestly, go, go and do what I'm telling you now. Wake up in the morning and change your wording in your mind and say, instead of saying I'm hating this, I'm going to actually embrace it. Let's look at the good things that is around me. And I come and say, I love these things around me. Might change. Might change your day. Let's come back to the passage here. Because he uses strong words here. He says, you must hate your father and your mother. No, that's not what he says. What he says, and he combines it into, it's a hyperbole. It's a hyperbole. He, he uses this, this, this terminology. He says, the vast difference between hating something and loving something. That's how much more you need to love me above your, your parents and your wife and your children. That's what he's saying. Oh, you can really, if you read this thing literally, you can get people who says, since I follow Christ, he opened up. And I've heard people say this. I followed him only and then my eyes opened to my wife and I went, Ooh, I don't love her anymore. No, no, that's not what he says. He says, don't start hating your wife. No, no, what he says is, <clears throat> the love for him and the follow of him is so much more. But I tell you too long on that point. The second example here is a little bit of a, a long one. He says there in verse uh, Luke 14, 27, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, Listen to what he says. He bear his cross. Remember he called us to be yoked with him. He never asked us to carry his cross. It's not for you and for me to carry the cross of Christ again. I know we've seen these movies where men, they made the crosses and they pulled the cross all over the thing. He never asked us to do that. And, I, and look, I've got nothing against these people. They, they had something they worked out. But he never asked us to build a wooden cross and start you know, pulling it through the cities or pulling it up on a mountain. He never asked us that. The Bible says it clearly he does, doesn't bear his cross. His cross. Now what is that cross? Then you say to me, well, how can I de determine this cross? The cross here is to face or to follow Christ at the cost of 
anything it, you know, at, at anything it would take. That is what it is. That's your cross. He carried his cross very well. He doesn't need any help from you and for me to carry that cross. He did it. But you and I need to carry our crosses. And that cross is going to, it's going to cost us something. It could be painful in our lives. And there's two examples in this passage. There's this man who built a tower and he didn't um, sit down and he didn't count the costs. And then it fell short of being completed because he ran out of money. And he was mocked. Now, again, it's our cross. If you don't carry that cross totally, people will mock you. And you know how many people has mocked you already if you call yourself as a Christian. That's a cross to bear. The second example there is about a king who went into a war. And then um, when, he, when he worked out with 10,000 and he, and he come against somebody at 20,000 and they overthrow him, he didn't count it properly. So Jesus says, you need to be able to carry your cross if you follow me. Whatever it takes to follow me. That's what it means. And then finally, the last example is in verse 33. He says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. What does it mean? You know, bring it back to you and me. It means that it's going to cost you something. It's similar to the first two guys. You know, you've got to carry your cross. But this, it's going to cost you something. Maybe your life. Maybe your social group. I don't know. Maybe your positions. He said it to another man, go and sell everything and give it to the poor. That man said, I held every single law. But he says, go and sell it to the poor. And it was too hard for him. Couldn't. Just couldn't do that. And then he uses these words, you cannot. You cannot be my disciple. It's not possible. So let me just end today in our study with the last words of Jesus in that passage. In Luke chapter 14 verse 34, he says, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He wasn't here, let him hear. Salt is white. My point towards living a clean life. It preserves. It is uh, if you put it in on meat or something, it, it keeps it a little bit longer. But the biggest reason why we use salt is to bring taste and flavor. So that if you put it in food, that the food is not dull. We're living in a dull world. It's spiced up by all the lights of Hollywood, but it's dull. And you and I, as the disciples of Christ, with the with these characteristics, first of all, yoked with Christ. Secondly, we continue in the Word of God because it will have the answer. Somebody comes to you and you start quoting them scripture verses and they know that didn't come from you. You continue in the Word of God. You love one another. This is, this is the texture. This is the, the essence of salt, of a disciple who is the salt. It's loving one another. And um, it's loving one another and then um, it's to live that clean life. I've said it before. And then to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. That is the salt. 
And he says if none of those things, you can't even throw it out to build a path on it. It's useless. It's going to be thrown out for nothing. He didn't make you to be nothing. He made you to be his disciple. I hope you've learned something. I certainly learn when I go through the scriptures and I get excited about it. Remember these things in this week. Be a disciple. Be a decisive disciple. Look at these characteristics. I go over this again, you know, record, rewind, go back, stop. Stop at the first one. Look at scriptures. Go into your Bible. Look at other references which reference into that. I've just, you know, for the time I've got, just gone over a few scripture verses. But do as I do, you know, in, in my Bible, in the, in, in the middle, there's a reference, you know. If I pick up a scripture verse, I go into the other part. Do that. Read more about that. I want to hear from you. If you... If there's something that really stood out for you, you know, share it with me. I'm, I'm happy to be shared with. If you've got a question, you'll find my right through this video. You'll see my email address in there. Send me the questions. But may the Lord bless you. Until we see each other again next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful word that you've given us. It is really, Father living and it's powerful cuts between spirit and soul bone and marrow and father it is the discerner of that and it will not go out void and uh, go out and return void but father i pray for everybody who viewed my voice i pray father it's not my voice that's important but the holy spirit through my clay pot body father bringing your words to life i pray that for everybody in jesus name amen